Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series, episode 18. I'm Andy Katz. Pleased to be joined by Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA's Chief Medical Officer, and Julia Kayyem, a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, a former Assistant Secretary in the Department of Homeland Security, and a current CNN analyst. Uh, Dr. Hainline, I want to start with you. Uh, we do this every week. Uh, catch us up as to where we are, because last week we showed that curve of where we thought we would be versus where we are. So a week later, where are we in terms of getting back on the field? <laughs> well, Andy, I'm not sure the curve has, has, has really changed uh, meaningfully in a week, but uh, you know, we, we did put out guidance uh, to the membership. What would it take to actually, uh, you know, have competition? And it involved testing recommendations. It was really a very holistic document because, you know, we all know we just can't test our way out of this pandemic. We all have to behave a certain way as individuals, as, as members of society. And so that document was well received. And, uh, and then we've subsequently put out a frequently asked questions document because the membership came back to us with many questions. We have a checklist. So, so that's all in the planning stages as if, you know, the, the, the fall season will proceed. But in terms of where we are as a society, um, you know, I think the one thing that has shifted perhaps is that there's a bit more openness to universal masking. Um, we still have a ways to go, but I, I think that that is starting to shift and, and that's a meaningful uh, perceptual change. Can so I Julie, before we dive into the logistics of everything, I just want to get your sort of 30,000 uh, yeah. view of this because in New England uh, in New York, that was the bad area. Now it's the better area and now we're at the heart of college football in the yeah. south, the southwest. They're getting slammed. Um, how do you explain what happened to where a couple of months ago they were thinking, okay, we're going to be fine by the summer. Right. We can have football and everything else. And now it's a 180. Right. I mean, uh, the, the simple explanation, and I should be clear, I am not a doctor, so I do, you, but I am a, I'm a consumer of health intelligence, and then I help institutions plan for what they're seeing um, is you know, we just opened up too soon or didn't close enough. I mean, in other words, we sort of did everything sort of half, half-ish, uh, no overall national strategy. So we got the worst of both worlds, right? We got a bad pandemic compared to every other comparable country. And we've got the economic, social, institutional impact that we're seeing with sports. Um, but just, you know, and I want to say you're picking up on uh, what Brian said, that, that um, it's really interesting what's happening um, uh, sort of one city, state, institution, college, university, corporation at a time. Um, I, my job is to advise these people and monitor what's going on nationally, especially in the absence of national policy, because that then you can drive things, you know, one individual institution or city or state at a time. So right now, uh, over 70% of the American public is under what we call level two or level three masking orders. They are actually required to do it anywhere, both indoor, indoor and, and um, uh, outside, depending. So that's not nothing. That's a huge swath of the American public is under that. 48 of the 50 most populous cities are now under masking um, orders. We see institutions like colleges and universities and, and sporting facilities, and we see um, big corporations like Walmart. So while there's a debate about masking 
that debate is like it's already been settled right i mean in other words as you just you're you're going to see 80 percent by next week so it's just good helpful for people to know that because you can get focused on i'm entering this big controversy and actually most of the american public in the polling wants a national masking policy and most of the american public is living under one so so brian let's go to the practical side on these university campuses yeah. voluntary workouts uh, football started it. Now we're seeing other sports, men's and women's basketball. And at least through social media, we are seeing everyone listen to the guidelines. We're seeing coaches with masks, gloves, using the electronic whistle. The players don't have it when they're uh, actually working out, but everyone around them is using it. So that message that Juliet is talking about, how much are you seeing it and hearing back that it has gotten through to at least attempt this, they're actually listening? Well, you know, it varies, Andy, because I, I, I think when the athletes are actually in athletics, so let's say those four hours a day, there's really a, a pretty good deal of control and, and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing because, you know, it's, it's really important if, if athletics is to succeed, if sport is to succeed. But, you know, there's 20 hours in a day that are unaccounted for and we're hearing all sorts of different stories. And this is from the boots on the ground team physicians and athletic trainers. And, and you know, it's, it, 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 I'm not saying it's hard or easy, but you, you, you know, when we're talking about young adults, people whose frontal lobes are completely myelinated and, and their decision-making is, is sometimes driven by factors that aren't necessarily rational. And, and, and that's just a, a fact of life. You know, it, they may go out and, and put themselves in a situation where it's, um, it puts them at risk of, of really contracting COVID-19. And there's still a mentality out there. And this is a very real mentality that, you know, what's the big deal if I get COVID-19? And the herd mentality, the herd immunity mentality is, is still out there. Even though, you know, we've said this before, I still haven't met any scientists or epidemiologists who thinks that that's a good idea. So there's still a lot of education that needs to go on. And, and I think that as the coaches, take a more leadership position and say, look, this isn't just about athletics. This is about a way of being 24 seven. You're gonna see this shift, but we haven't seen it crystallize yet. Julia, to that point, what about those other 20 hours, the controlled environment, the four that the coaches and athletic trainers and doctors have them versus the rest of the day? Right, it's why a, a really, a bubble is all you got right now. I mean, in other words, the bubble that the NBA did, it worked. You can't do that for college students. They've got other things going on. They have to be other places. And so what you're trying to do from the planning perspective is for these students, and I think it's important to talk about the role of co uh, coaches in their lives, is you're trying to do three things simultaneously. You know, we always, everything is a debate in this country. You know, it's like, you know, masking, no masking, you know, open, close. Like, it's actually slightly more complicated than that. And so what you're trying to do and from the planning perspective, what you're seeing the colleges and universities try to do is you're trying to minimize contact intensity, right? So, so, so sports are really hard because most of them exist for contact intensity. There's some that don't, golfing, tennis, the ones that we often talk about. Uh, hard to talk about football without contact intensity. And so what you want to do, you know, whether you're a Target or a Walmart or a, or a sport program is limit contact intensity uh second manage the number of people who are together so this you can have some control over um especially if you have testing for a limited pool like the athletes you just keep 
spectators away because it's just a numbers game at this stage. Five is less than 50, which is less than 500. You just, you know, your chances of getting it are high if, if you're with 500 people. Um, and then the third is you want to maximize individual uh, mitigation. Um, and this is where the coaches come in, you know, be, be a smart player, mask all the time, you know, don't be around too many people, don't party, test when you're required to test. Um, and um, and uh, and follow the science, uh, and so that's where the individual mitigation behavior matters a lot. And you know, I see the same thing in twenty-somethings. They think it's it, it won't hit them if it does hit them, and they won't get sick. And and um, and they're not thinking about you know one who they're going to get sick, but also we the the one variable we don't know. Um, is the long-term impact of this. So I'm a 50-year-old woman. I'm healthy. I'll probably, if I got it, I'd probably fight it unless there's something I don't know about my system. It'd be hard. But what does that mean for me when I'm 60 or 70? And if you're a healthy 20-year-old athlete, maybe you fight it relatively easy, whatever. What does it mean when you're a 26-year-old, you know, out of college, but still want to play a sport that you've devoted your life to? We just don't know. And so part of it is telling them, you may be fine today, but we don't know what it's like 10 years from now. So Brian, let's go to testing strategies because um, there are a number of them. Uh, where do you land on what could end up being the most successful and maybe at least in the short term, the one that will you know, help at least manage this problem to get through these first couple of months of a potential season? Well, where we've landed is uh, a place where I hope we're not going to stay. And, and so where we landed is the gold standard, which is still the polymerase chain reaction, the PCR test. You know, it's, it's, it's taken by way of either a nasal pharyngeal or nasal or, or salivary uh, test. So, you know, even the professional sports are going at uh, using different ways. So Major League Baseball uses salivary testing. The NBA uses uh, the nasal testing. And so, you know, the very few people in sports are doing the full nasal pharyngeal swab. Um, but that has to go out to an outside lab. There's a reagent and, uh, you know, there's still delays in, in this country. There's delays sometimes just waiting in line to get the test. And sometimes the test can take way more than three days, five to seven days. And, and there's even a consideration that the reagent supply uh, is, is in jeopardy. So, so that's not sustainable. But that's where we are right now because that's the gold standard. But I, I think the big hope is for the point of care testing. And we, we, we talked about this before and there are different types. There's like a point of care antigen test. So that's a different strategy. It looks at a protein on the inside of the virus rather than looking at the amplification of the nucleic acid profile of the virus. But there are other ways of doing point of care that are emerging. There's a point of care PCR test, or there's also a point of care isothermal test. So these are all, again, working with the virus. And, and what's important is the number of virus particles that are necessary for detection. So that's one debate. But the other debate that's not really clear is, well, how many virus particles that are there for detection, how many are necessary to actually really lead to a contagion or infection? So all of that's being worked out. We are getting data from the professional sports teams because they're using the gold standard, but they also have point of care tests. And so they're comparing you know, what the results are. And so we're really hopeful that we'll have those answers sometime in, in, in the next couple of months. Because when you're thinking about 
testing on a very regular basis or we think about our championships, it really becomes tactically really challenging to always be sending something out to a lab from different parts of the country. So, so that's sort of a, a, a brief synopsis of, of where we are today. So Juliet, you know, the NCAA is made up of private and public institutions. Right. Uh, every state is different as you have well documented. Um, I mean, how could this work in a world where uh, every state may have different guidelines, may have different access, money, uh, to testing uh, capabilities, especially a public school versus a private institution. Right. So, and it is that. Look, every um, I often say, I teach in crisis management. A crisis uh, hits a nation or a state or an institution as it is, not how you want it to be. So, rich schools will still be rich. Poor schools will still not have access to money. Um, and you're seeing that exacerbated by the. Uh, sort of lack of a federal overlay, which is driving priorities. Well, you know, in terms of uh, uh, supply chain, the Defense Production Act, the production of, of testing kits and and other materials that are needed for it, as well as, um, you know, come on, the potential for a second wave. I mean, we're, we're in wave one, right? I mean, another, so the combination of, of the regular flu season uh, with uh, uh, the uh, with um, COVID, so you're not going to get a unified approach. And what that means is what you're at least seeing in terms of foreign countries is that we're only as healthy as our weakest link. This is why I think people in New England, for example, are like, "Was I just inside for four months for nothing?" You know, you're sort of upset, you know, because you're seeing what's happening in the rest of the country. Uh, just the nature of a vaccine. I mean, excuse me, nature of a, a virus is it's borderless and so you're you just we have to take our weakest institutions um and assume that that's going to be uh the standard because a stronger institution or a stronger state is not likely to want to play literally and figuratively uh with a sicker state or institution because then you're just out right i mean then you're just if your people get sick you're gonna you know then you're just out so that's why you're starting to see travel uh, restrictions, uh, times for quarantine for out-of-staters. For example, Vermont, uh, which does not have a masking order right now, is likely to go to one, not because anything significant is happening there, but they see all these Southerners and New Yorkers coming their way. Um, and so uh, uh, so that's, uh, that's basically the whack-a-mole, I mean, it's a whack-a-mole approach, hodgepodge responses that you'll see. Um, and that's why it's a challenge for, I think, institutions are um, entities that cover a lot of different institutions like the NCAA uh, because, you know, do you want to be aspirational or do you have to be realistic? It's, it's hard. So, Brian, uh, as part of the resocialization, uh, one of the criteria out there was a 72-hour window of testing before competition. Um, that was put out last week. We're seeing in the NBA, I mean, they're paying for it. They're in their bubble, but they're testing literally every day. And so far, as we're taping, you know, they haven't had any positive tests, but they're in that bubble. How realistic a week into throwing that out there is a 72-hour window in advance of competition? And I know competition hasn't happened and may not happen until September, but how realistic is that? Well, today it would be challenging, Andy. And, and, and one of the things that we put in the document, one of the reasons for discontinuing sport or athletics is that you can't follow through with testing. And, and so, you know, we had talked about different scenarios. So should it be 24 hours, 48, 72, one week? And, you know, you could argue that 24 hours is better, but 24 hours also might not be enough. I mean, a lot can happen in 24 hours and the test is only as good as 
the moment it's taken. So, so ultimately that's where we landed. But again, that's why I think there's gonna have to be a strategic shift. And the document clearly has an opening for that, that as technologies evolve, that, that we will be making that strategic shift. All right, Julie, I wanna to shift to something that uh, we all have hope for yeah. vaccine. Gotta have hope. A couple of coaches that just read the headlines and will say to me, hey, we may have a vaccine by the fall. Hey, we can't make the problem. <laughs> But I always remember this quote that you've said, which is, a vaccine doesn't cure it, a vaccination does. Right, a vaccine never saved a life. You have to actually get it in your arm, not I just know. know that it's exactly. out there. Exactly, the last mile right. is it. So this is like the logistics nightmare that we're anticipating. So first of all, we don't have a vaccine yet. So all the good news people are hearing, all the money floating around, that's fantastic. The Chinese have something, the, uh, the Europeans have something. We have something, uh, tests are going forward. Lots of, lots of companies you know, went, got through hurdle one, fewer through hurdle two, but there's progress and the smartest people in the world are focused on this. But let's just assume that there's one that's gonna work for vast majority of us. Um, you gotta identify it, manufacture it, um, uh, and then you gotta do the hardest thing that's ever gonna happen in some ways in this country, or lots of hard things happen, but uh, the, probably the greatest logistical challenge Ever, which will be a uh, fair, fast, transparent vaccine distribution system through 50 states, territories, tribals that uh, that cannot happen at the same time. It's going to be a rolling vaccination. So who goes first? That one's easy. Military, law enforcement, public safety, public health. That 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 we always get. Who goes second, third, fourth, and last? And the ethical challenge. So first, so so. Here's how someone like me thinks about it, because I do worry exactly, when you told me you were hearing that from coaches, I was like, oh my God, like this is a problem with calling something Operation Warp Speed, right? Which is, you know, people think, well, we found it, therefore it's in my arm. You gotta add a lot, a lot of time. And I think it also gives a false sense that this period, which is a really funky period where we're trying to figure out how to live with the virus, you know, this sort of, pseudo recovery that we you know or this this new normal as some people say um is going to be short-lived it's not short-lived i have personally written off 2020 and i actually am now be you know in the sense christmas is not going to be the same thanksgiving is not the same and i i'm not i don't think the first part of 2021 i think it's going to be a lot more treatments a lot more information a lot more testing so we'll live better than we live now but i for a vaccine uh, you know, uh, we, we got a while, it's a big distribution program. So I say, pray for a, what is it? You know, pray for a vaccine plan for otherwise until further notice, which is essentially then wear a mask, wear a mask and be smart. So Brian, to that point, because I don't know if you've heard, but that's what I've been hearing. Um, you know, how have you had to answer that question from members of the NCAA about uh, the time it will take, even if we get a vaccine that's approved sometime in 2020 or the beginning of 21? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm usually pretty blunt and say, uh, look, in, in the history of vaccine development in this world, we've never seen anything come that fast. Maybe that could change, but let's be realistic. And uh, essentially I'm saying the same things Julia was saying, let's really plan well into 2021 and make certain that we're doing things properly. And, and when the vaccine's rolled out and, and it's there, we find it's effective and safe, well, that's fine, but uh, expecting that, you know, by the end of this year or even the beginning of 2021, it just doesn't seem realistic. Yeah. All right, so 
to that point, this is where I want to wrap up in terms of being a little more optimistic okay, good. Of, of how we live with it. Because, yeah. you know, we, no decision has been made about what's going to happen in the fall and the beginning of winter. So with that being said, let's put the vaccine away. Not even think about it right now. How do we get back to having sport, yes. sports in the near term, a couple of months from now, worst case scenario, later into 20 or into 21? Um, Brian, I'll start with you and Juliet. What's the best way to make this happen in some form or fashion? Well, you know, Andy, I, I would like to take a giant step back and look at sport and society and, and, and get back to something Juliet was talking about earlier, you know, what, you know, about being fair and equitable. And, and, and so we really wanted to do this right. We would make certain that at the youth sport level, at the high school level, that we could actually risk mitigate and test. And there would be equal access to testing for those who want to be engaged in sport, for those who want to go back to school. And we don't have that national strategy. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, we're, we're going to have to figure it out. And everyone is going to have to understand that essentially the person that you're with is potentially infectious and you have to live accordingly. And so that is the new normal. And that's the new normal for quite some time. But I think the caveat is that when we really do have point of care testing, we're going to be able to make decisions uh, much more rationally and, and, and even do mathematical modeling much more quickly and, and understand where this virus is moving. So, so there is some hope, I think, because the testing paradigm will shift and the cost will go down. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's right. I, I, you know, from our different perches, we're at the same place, I think, which is um, there's, there's an end and I don't, and that's until further notice. I literally just, just you know, I, I like, I stop myself from reading about vaccine because I know half of it, I think is just for stock prices. So this period in crisis management, this is not a typical recovery period. So in, in most crises, you have the bad thing happens, a hurricane, the tornado, the terrorist uh, incident or a pandemic. You have a re immediate response. You save people, you put out the fire, you, you know, uh, uh, do all the things you do to save lives. And then you move immediately to recovery. And because the bad thing is gone, the terrorists are dead, the hurricane has gone through, the tornado is, is down the street. So, so that's an, this is completely different, which is we're going into recovery or eventually we'll go into recovery. Some places are still in response with the enemy still around. And so we call it adaptive recovery because it is going to be different every day. And that's where the pivoting, the lessons learned, the speed all matter. Because if we can, um, if we can keep as many, many things open as possible, that, you know, into the future, that's good for the students, the student athletes and the economy. And so I want to add on a hopeful note. If I make, if I sound like the time frame is very long for a vaccine and today seems kind of crappy because of everything going on, lots of good stuff will happen between today and then, right? We're getting smarter about the virus. The virus, we know how to stop it, right? I mean, look at Europe, look at China. We are getting better treatments, which I'm much more gung-ho about. People are getting smarter. I mean, you look at the polling, 80% of Americans want mandatory masking. So, so it won't be normal like 2019. We won't feel that way, but it won't feel, it will get more familiar. Like it, it, will, it will begin to feel like, okay, this is how we manage around a virus until, the, until it dies on its own or, or, um, uh, or we get a vaccine. And that, that, that should be hopeful. And on a hopeful note, 
That's all we can ask, Juliet. Exactly. Juliet Kayyem, Dr. Kayyem Inline, appreciate it. As always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where we've archived all 18 of these episodes. We're going to continue this throughout the course of the year. Every week to come, we've got more to discuss on this as we get closer and closer to students getting on campus. We'll have to see how it all goes. Appreciate all your time. This information is always incredibly educational. Stay safe, everyone.